Well, hello everyone, how are we doing? Can I ask you all to stand up, please? And now, sit down again, and turn to the person to your right, and on the count of three, shake hands. One, two, three. (laughs) Well, tonight we are exploring what it means to say Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. He sits down, doesn't he? And taking a seat can mean many different things, depending on the context. So if you're about to be a contestant on Masterminds, reputedly one of Britain's uh, toughest and maybe scariest television quiz shows, having to face John Humphreys uh, when it's your turn to take a seat might make you break out in a cold sweat. If you're, uh, however, in a supercar dealership and uh, you're wanting to try out the latest Porsche uh, and the salesman hands you the keys to the car and he says, go and take her for a spin, then sitting down in the driving seat with all that raw power at the touch of your foot upon the accelerator, well, it might make you bubble over with excitement. Alternatively, if you've uh, been a a naughty school child and the teacher asks you to go and see the headmaster, then uh, you'll probably feel that sensation at the pit of your stomach. Obviously, I've never felt that before. Um, (laughs) Only when I enter Philip's office. Um, Because you know you're definitely in trouble. Taking a seat can mean many different things depending on the location of the seat and the reason for sitting down. So what does it mean for Jesus to be seated at the right hand of the Father in the Apostles' Creed? That's the question we're going to be exploring tonight. And I want to suggest it means at least these three things. Firstly, it means that Jesus' sacrificial work is complete. Secondly, it means that Jesus is now seated in glory. And thirdly, it means that Jesus' intercessory work continues. So let's begin with Jesus' sacrificial work is complete. Sometimes at the end of a hard day's work, there's nothing better than sitting down and taking the load off your feet. And especially so when you're satisfied that you've completed an important piece of work. But if we remember our our passages in the uh, book of Hebrews, and perhaps we can turn back to them, we find that the Old Testament priests never knew this satisfaction. It says in Hebrews 10, verse 11, that the Old Testament priestly sacrifices could never take away sins. And so the priests, they perform these religious duties day after day, again and again, without ever feeling satisfied that the sacrifices that they were making really made any real difference. Don't get me wrong, it's not that the Old Testament sacrifices serve no purpose at all. It's just that they were initiated by God as a shadow of the good things to come. Now this shadow reality consisted of an earthly tabernacle which was set up with an outer holy place and then an innermost holy place. And only priests drawn from the special tribe of Aaron could enter the outer holy place to make the sacrifices. And then only the high priest was allowed to go behind the curtain of separation which led into the innermost holy place. And he was allowed to do this once a year on the Jewish Day of Atonement. And after first washing himself thoroughly, uh, he would dress in special linen and then he'd sacrifice a bull for his own sin and then he would sacrifice a goat for the sin of his people in Israel. 
And after he'd done this, he'd then have to sprinkle the blood of the bull and the goat in various different places. One of which was the atonement cover which sealed the Ark of the Covenant containing the Ten Commandments. This was known as the mercy seat of God. It was the place where God's divine presence was thought to touch the earth and atone for Israel's sins could be made. It was an extremely powerful religious ceremony that was taking place. Yet despite all this drama, Jewish worshippers continued to have a nagging doubt at the back of their minds about their standing before God. They knew that all the gifts and sacrifices that we were making were performed by men in their weakness. And in truth, they were really only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, we're told in Hebrews. It seems somehow insulting, you see, to think that the sacrifice of an animal could ever be a fair exchange to atone for human sin. It denied humanity's unique dignity as beings created in the image of God to bear his stewardship here on earth. So the sacrifice of an animal felt like a cheap offering when compared with the depths of Israel's disobedience towards the Lord's commandments. That's why the book of Hebrews says these external regulations were powerless to cleanse the conscience of the believer. So whilst the Jews knew God, they knew that he was with them in one sense. The the tabernacle, the earthly tabernacle, was set up to be a constant reminder that they really only knew him from a distance. And that's why the good news of Jesus is so great for us today. Because the earthly tabernacle, with its associated sacrifices, functioned to point ahead to the heavenly tabernacle, where Jesus would offer himself as the perfect sacrifice. Jesus was the only perfect human qualified to be an unblemished sacrifice because he is holy, blameless, pure, and set apart from sinners. Jesus entered the heavenly sanctuary, we're told, and the most highly place once and for all by his own blood to obtain our eternal redemption. He made himself the final sacrifice when he offered himself. And hence, on the cross, when he gave up his spirit, Jesus was able to declare, it is finished, in John chapter 19. Jesus knew the satisfaction of sitting down at the right hand of the Father, having finished his sacrificial work. He knew the satisfaction of dying to redeem, to perfectly to save, to restore into a right relationship with God those whom he loved. So for us, and maybe for you, if you're here tonight feeling a little bit distant from God, one of the questions you might want to ask yourself is, well, are you trying to atone for your shortcomings by trying to do some form of sacrificial work yourself? Are you not trusting that Jesus' work of sacrifice has already been done for you? So if you find yourself day after day, again and again, locked in a cycle of trying to please God through your own efforts, but no matter how hard you try, you can't seem to approach God, then why not access this grace of God by acknowledging that Jesus is the only high priest worthy enough to die for you in your place? 
Well, the second thing to say is that because Jesus' sacrificial work is complete, Jesus is now seated in glory. In the ancient uh, world, when a king wished to honour someone, he would offer them a seat at his right hand. That seat was the highest seat, the greatest honour, and the supreme glory the king could confer upon anyone. And this glory that God the Father has conferred upon his son, um, because is the, this is the glory that God has conferred upon his son. Because Jesus sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, he has swapped his crown of thorns for a crown of glory. Jesus has returned to heaven where he came from in triumph. So whilst Jesus' identity might be largely confused still on earth today, all the heavenly hosts when he returned now knew exactly what Jesus had done in restoring God's relationship with his creation back under his perfect rule. And so the heavenly host worshipped Jesus who now reigns in authority to administer God's rule. In Revelation chapter 5 verse 12, the Apostle John sees a vision of the heavenly throne room. The voice of many angels, living creatures and elders all encircle the throne of the Lamb. And together they declare, worthy is the Lamb Jesus who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. For God the Father, who knew all the long that his son Jesus would die to redeem humanity, the excitement of seeing Jesus at last receiving the praise and acknowledgement he deserved must have been an overwhelming spectacle. Now, I don't want to draw too many parallels here, but can you imagine how excited Ant and Deck must have felt when they first sent out Susan Boyle into Britain's Gone Talent stage. Of course, you see, they were in on the act. So when the crowd first mockingly wolf-whistled Susan and they wondered why she was even bothering to have a go at her chance of fame and glory, how vindicated Ant and Deck must have felt when she first opened her mouth and she stunned the audience to sing I dreamed a dream. Ant was able to declare, now you didn't expect that, did you? As all of a sudden, the whole of Britain now wanted to praise Susan as they realised what she'd done. And just as the Simon Cowell machine rolled out to ensure that Susan's fame spread way beyond Britain and all around the world, So it is in God the Father's plans to see that Jesus receives the same glory on earth as he now receives in heaven. In Isaiah chapter 49, God declares about Jesus, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and to bring back those of Israel. I will also make you a light to the Gentiles that that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. The Father's intention, even before Jesus was born, was that every knee on earth should bow to his Son in the knowledge of what he has done. And the Father will not rest until Jesus' enemies have become his footstool, it says in Hebrews 10.13. So just as, as in biblical times, when enemies were defeated... They were brought back in chains and the victorious king would sit on his throne and he would put his feet on the backs of his defeated enemies. 
So what we're hearing about here is that those who um, oppose Jesus will experience a day when they will be put under his feet and they will feel the full weight of his glory pressing down on their backs. Now this sounds challenging, doesn't it? And we'll be learning more about what this judgment of God means in next week's morning services. So please do come to the morning and also to the evening worldview service. But for now, it can actually be an encouragement for us that one day all the evil in the world will be banished. And this should give us grace and confidence that when we feel persecuted for following Jesus, just as Stephen was in the book of Acts, He demonstrated uh, the love of Christ when he was being stoned by the crowd for talking about Jesus. When he looked up, he saw Jesus at the right hand of God and he found the courage to say, Lord, do not hold it against them. Seeing the glory of Jesus gave Stephen the chance and the opportunity to endure the troubles that were before him and to forgive those that were persecuted him. And I think that speaks a strong message about God too. But the same can be true of us today if we're able to worship Jesus as our reigning Lord and King. It will enable enable us to endure because he is seated much higher than us. Now, Jesus was crucified in one place in time and history in order that through his ascension to the Father's right hand, he is now present everywhere. When Jesus ascended to the Father, his sacrificial role might have come to an end, but his work didn't stop. And so our third point is that Jesus' intercessory work continues Jesus sent his Holy Spirit to be present in all believers so we can be assured that we have an ally in heaven interceding for us on our behalf. Hebrews 7, chapter 20, uh, verse 25 says, Jesus always lives to intercede for those who call on his name. Now the word intercede means to speak up on behalf of someone else. So Jesus is still serving his followers, us today, by speaking up on our behalf with the Father. And we all know that it's good to have friends in high places, isn't it? During my recent um, uh, familiarisation visit to uh, the western Ukraine with Andrew Tarsi, I couldn't speak a a word of Hungarian, which is the language spoken uh, out where we were visiting, And uh, on my own, I doubt I would have even been able to cross the uh, Hungarian-Ukrainian border without being uh, rather rudely frisked by some of the rather butch-looking passport officers. Um, Yet, because I was with Andrew, um, I passed the borders with ease. And when I got to the villages, because Andrew had the right connections, when we got to the villages I was staying with, I didn't have to queue or fill in any special forms, to go and speak to the mayors who were in the special seat of government. I was able to chat to the mayors of both Jula and Neverland, confident that because they trusted in Andrew, as a friend of his, I too would receive that special honour. Through Jesus, we have this special access with the Father in heaven. And Jesus always has the ear of the Father. 
in a metaphorical sense. He doesn't have to shout across a busy room as one might have to do when, during a toast at a wedding ceremony, anything like that, to announce uh, the, the toast at the party. Jesus merely has to turn, just like you do, to your neighbour now. He can whisper and he will still be heard by the Father as he speaks on behalf of us. And what's more, Jesus knows what it's like to be human. Hebrews 4.16, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathise with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Jesus didn't even give up his humanness when he ascended to the Father. As uh, I was chatting with the new principal of Wycliffe Hall, Michael Lloyd, yesterday, and uh, when I met him, uh, one of the things he says in his book, Cafe Theology, is that there is a human being, uh, a human being uh, seated on the throne in heaven, one of our own, one in whom we here also have a stake in. And this is Jesus' permanent condition. Part of humanity is permanently up there in heaven. So because Jesus perfectly understands our condition, he is able to save us completely, as the passage which we've read out says. However, just as Jesus prayed for his disciples in his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, when we become Christians, he doesn't save us by taking us out of the world. Instead, he prays that we will be protected from the evil one whilst we remain in the world. And even if we find ourselves succumbing to the temptations of the world and our faith gives way, we still have no need to hide from God. Hebrews tells us that Jesus is our permanent high priest. Jesus lives forever, he cannot die, and he will always speak up on behalf of those he loves. His one sacrifice on the cross covers for all time the sins of those who come to God through him in repentance. So Jesus will never be absent from his intercessory role with the Father. No retirement, no redundancy, no death reshuffle at work will ever stop him from pouring out the Father's grace on those upon he loves. Thing is though, if we only think we come to, to the Father forgiven, then as Christians we make a bit of a mistake. This is just half the story. Because Jesus is our representative in heaven. The Bible is clear. The same glory that was afforded to Jesus will also be bestowed on those who trust in him. If we're trusting in Christ, then one day we will sit with him on his throne. Incredible as it is, in the book of the Revelation, Jesus says this, to the one who is victorious... I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. If we remain a follower of Jesus, then one day we will rule alongside him in Jesus' glory when God's kingdom is finally made manifest here on earth. So I want to close this this slightly briefer sermon, by saying, are you looking forward to the day when you too will be seated in the glory 
of God, with Jesus our Saviour. Amen.